welcome to the Bronze Surgery Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Lynch. For those of you that do not know me, I'm a PhD educator and nurse practitioner by training. The focus of this podcast is to span both clinical and educational fundamentals and turn everyday topics into interesting discussions that can benefit students, residents, and faculty alike. Today, we are getting back to our discussions focusing on career selection within the surgery discipline. You'll remember from previous episodes where we discussed the role of the surgical scientists with Dr. Sean Monahan and Dr. Dahi Heffernan, and also choosing endocrine surgery as a career with Dr. Travis Cotton. Today, we are taking a closer look at cardiothoracic surgery and the factors that may help you consider this specialty as you make your way through general surgery training. Joining me for this discussion is Dr. Neil Soda. Dr. Soda is an associate professor of surgery at Albert Medical School of Brown University, and he's one of our local cardiothoracic surgeons here at Rhode Island Hospital. So welcome to the podcast, Neil. And before we jump into the topic, can you just quickly run through your educational pedigree for us? Yes, I, I went to college and medical school at the University of Illinois and completed my general surgical residency at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. I spent two years in the cardiothoracic surgical research lab there and thereafter did my cardiothoracic surgery residency at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. So can you just go through some of the deciding factors that led you into cardiothoracic surgery for us? Going into general surgery, I was interested in either trauma, critical care, vascular, or cardiothoracic surgery. I knew I wanted to do something that was going to be challenging in dealing with sick patients. I like the inpatient side of things more than the outpatient side of things. And I thought cardiothoracic surgery really gave me a good blend of doing big acute cases, but also doing the critical care portion of, uh, of managing these patients postoperatively. And so, the, you know, when it came down to deciding between the three, I liked the uh, comprehensive nature of things that you could do in cardiothoracic surgery. And one of the main reasons I went into cardiothoracic surgery was every case is a big case. There's no small case. And, you know, sometimes that's a that's a bad thing if you feel like you want to have a light day, but uh, that pressure is, uh, some of us thrive under it, and they like the idea of always doing big cases, and so uh, that was a nice thing about cardiac surgery, because no matter what you're doing, it's always going to be, you know, big invasive case. What's a typical work week look like for you? So I operate on Mondays and Tuesdays, and then I do clinic on Wednesdays, and then I operate on Thursdays, and then some Fridays if there's a uh, if there are leftover cases to do, and then a little time to try to do some academic work. Is that pretty typical for cardiothoracic surgery across the board, or is it going to vary based on what center you work at? I think it may vary based on what center you work at. Generally, surgeons will be in the operating room at least two or three days a week, and then have one day of uh, a clinic, or sometimes a day and a half of clinic. So how much time during your normal work week is spent in collaboration with your cardiology colleagues? So half of my clinic on Wednesday is dedicated to structural heart patients, and so we do a joint clinic with the cardiology service. If you were talking to you know, residents as they're listening to this and they were considering whether they should go into cardiothoracic surgery, what would you say to them? I'd say one, know that the training is long, but at the end of the day, you know, when you look at it, when you're an attending, you know, an extra year or two, probably doesn't make that much of a difference. I think you go into it knowing it's going to be challenging. This isn't one of the specialties where you have a huge amount of control over your lifestyle. That being said, you know, there are emergencies, but depending on the size of the group that you work with, you're not on call every night. You have a group of partners and you kind of rotate call. Uh, here at Rhode Island Hospital, there's four of us, so we're on call every fourth night, every fourth weekend, and so that's pretty manageable in terms of lifestyle. The emergencies do come up, and generally when our patients have issues, we deal with them, and so sometimes we do get called in even when we're not on call, but it's not overwhelming. 
in a way, it's nice, you know, a lot of times the patients have had a lot of their workup done by the time they get to us. And so really it's operative decision-making and strategy. And so the cardiology groups generally have the patients kind of all ready to go for us. And so if you're the type of person that just likes to operate, and that, that's a nice thing. Uh, here we have it set up where we manage all our own patients in the post-operative period in the ICU. And so I like that about this job. I like taking care of the patients afterwards. But if you don't have any interest in that, there are places where patients are totally managed by an intensivist group postoperatively. That's more the exception than the rule, but there are opportunities for that. So what does that model look like where you're collaborating with an intensivist on the critical care management of your patients? Almost all programs, the cardiac surgeon will still be primarily responsible for the patient, and so the patients will never go into a closed unit. It's always the patient stays on surgeon service, surgeon makes primary decisions. Most programs will have an intensivist that rounds through the unit. Uh, we're probably more the exception than the rule when it comes to that of not having an intensivist, but that's something we're going to start bringing in probably in the next year or so. When you're considering a fellowship in cardiothoracic surgery, obviously we've had a few residents over the last couple of years and more this year. We're going to go into cardiothoracic. Are there certain things you should look for? Yeah, I think the uh, big decisions are, one, whether you want to do a two- or a three-year fellowship. I think if you're going into general thoracic, a two-year fellowship is sufficient. With cardiac, with so much subspecialization going on within cardiac surgery in terms of heart failure, valve repair, minimally invasive, aortic surgery, these types of things, planning on three years of training is probably best. And that could be either doing two years somewhere and then a third year of a super fellowship or going to a place that's a three-year program. And those programs tend to incorporate a lot of the things that you get at a super fellowship into the three years. And so either way, I think you're probably looking at three years, especially if you want a job at an academic program. The most important thing that you can look at when looking at a program is not only volume, but operative autonomy. There are places that do 2,000, 3,000 cases a year, but the residents aren't doing a lot in terms of the case. They may be opening and cannulating, but in terms of the nuts and bolts of actually doing the sewing, they don't get to do as much hands-on. And so it's possible to graduate from a program with a good reputation without really being able to operate independently. And so I would say that when interviewing, ask the hard questions, talk to the residents that are there about how much of the case are they actually doing. And if you can watch cases, go to the operating room and say, hey, is the resident standing on the right side of the table and actually doing the case? That's really important. I know you told us you did two years of basic science research during your residency. Is that a requirement if you're going to choose cardiothoracic surgery that you must do two years in the lab? No, I don't think it's a requirement anymore. Previously, it was pretty much assumed that you would do two years during your general surgical training. Now, it's not uh, not as much of a requirement. I think some of the higher-end top academic programs still look favorably upon that. And so if you want to have your choice of where to go and really be competitive for the top five programs in the country, having that lab time is pretty important. I know it's a big topic in, in terms of general surgical training. Also, I'm curious about your thoughts on integrated cardiothoracic residencies. I think the jury's still out on them. You know, they've been doing integrated training models in other countries in Europe and in Canada for a while, and, you know, they're training good cardiac surgeons. Uh, here, the benefit of doing a general surgical residency is, one, you develop a lot of technical skills during that time period. You really can figure out if you want to go into cardiac or something else. Uh, in addition, there's that maturity and judgment, especially during the senior years of general surgery and chief residency, where you're kind of in charge of you know figuring out if the patient's sick and what do they need. And so those intangibles that you get are really valuable when you get into cardiothoracic training. 
And beyond that, if you're trained in general surgery when you're a cardiothoracic surgeon, it only makes you a better doctor because then you have an understanding of complications that can arise in the abdomen and elsewhere. And the amount of critical care training that you get through general surgical residency, you just can't replicate in doing solely cardiac. So I personally like the idea of doing general surgery and cardiothoracic surgery probably because that's what I did. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think the integrated programs do let you shave off a year or two of time, which is nice. And if you know it's really what you want to go into, then I don't think it's a bad idea. The uh, early graduating groups seem to be doing fine. The uh, general consensus is that if you're learning about cardiac surgery for six years, you're going to know more about it when you're and when you start as an attending. But the technical differences in terms of what you can do operatively, there is there doesn't seem to be much of a difference between an I six trainee and someone who went through the traditional route. You've been great at taking a lot of our general surgery residents on selective to spend a month with you. And for those residents who are thinking about this and saying, hey, maybe I, I want to do a month in cardiothoracic surgery, is there anything that they can do to better prepare themselves to, to spending a month with you? No, I think, you know, we kind of like to take anyone, you know, whether they're a second year, third year, or fourth year resident, and how much you get to do on the service just depends on where you're at in your training. I think in the second year, a lot of it is more focused on the ICU management and critical care of the patient because there's not as much you can do technically in the operating room but then as a third and fourth year where you've developed more of a technical skill set there's more that you can start doing in the operating room and so you know you're not going to be sewing the distals on a small coronary but in terms of getting to open the chest close the chest sometimes do some sewing on the heart those things are important and it's good to understand you know what can be done in an open heart room in terms of you know, support with cardiopulmonary bypass and knowing that, you know, if you even if you don't go into cardiac, that you have this accidental hypothermia patient, you can take them to a cardiac OR and cardiopulmonary bypass for rewarming can offer a lot more than ECMO sometimes. And so it, it's good to at least be exposed to it. I think before someone graduates general surgical residency, they should at least see, you know, one coronary case yeah. in aneurysm or something. I think having our residents rotate on your service uh, also allows them to see some of the team dynamics that play out in the operating room. And I think this is very important because cardiothoracic surgery it typically embodies that concept as there's a lot more personnel in the room that you have to be in control of. You're typically communicating not just with anesthesia, but also the perfusionist and whoever your first assistant is, in addition to your circulating nurses and your scrub tech. Can you just elaborate on this concept a bit more for us? Yeah, I think the uh, team roles are pretty well established. And so there's always this captain of the ship concept, and I think you ultimately do have to have one person who's responsible for the patient in the operating room, and that's the surgeon. But it's very collegial. You know, we trust and respect our cardiac anesthesiologists, and they're very good at what they do. We have the perfusionist in the room manning the heart-lung machine and all the nurses and the assistants, and it's a big team. You know, you can have six, eight, ten people in the room, but everyone works well together. And the importance of teams as a concept has been really highlighted in cardiac surgery where there's outcome data showing that if you have a regular group of people doing the cases where you don't have different nurses coming in all the time, different anesthesiologists, the patients do better. And it's because of that repetition and routine. And so now, you know, I, I have to say very little during the case. You know, my scrub tech knows exactly what I need. They know every step of the operation. The, the anesthesiologists know exactly, you know, what we like in terms of hemodynamic management, ninotrope management, the perfusionists know where we like to keep the pressure. And so getting that repetition and having a steady team is, uh, it's nice. You know, you build close relationships with people and everyone works to get the patient through. 
people who might not like cardiothoracic surgery say, oh, you're doing the same procedure every day. How do you find joy in that? Would you argue with them? Yeah, it's it's always a little different. You know, uh, coronary bypass surgery, I mean, it's, it's challenging because every patient's anatomy is a little bit different. The targets are a little different. Their uh, comorbidities are a little different. Is there as much variability as in general surgery? No, but when you look at, you know, you've got coronary surgery, you've got aortic valve surgery, mitral valve surgery, tricuspid surgery, aneurysm surgery, mechanical support with ECMO. I mean, there's a lot of different things, but uh, I like doing similar things to get very good and subspecialized. I mean, I've always been this person who repetition is good for, and so to me, this fit my mindset and my personality. I just wanted to keep doing something and kind of perfect it as much as I could. And so some people may like a little more variety. And if that's the case, maybe, you know, cardiothoracic's not exactly what they want to do. But uh, for me, it kind of fit what I wanted. Before we close, in terms of some of the, not trepidation, but there's been so much advancement in interventional cardiology in terms of TAVRs and what we're doing. What do you see the future of cardiothoracic surgery turning into from both a you know open approach, endovascular approach? So one of the reasons I should mention that I wanted to go into cardiothoracic surgery was I didn't like minimally invasive surgery. I didn't, really didn't like catheter-based procedures. I didn't really like laparoscopy or thoracoscopy. I liked uh, big incision and getting my hands in there. So. You know, there cardiothoracic surgery. People have always thought, you know, for decades now that the specialty was going to shrink and shrink, and it hasn't. And I remember one of my old attendings telling me that uh, when it was just thoracic surgery and the cardiac portion hadn't started, it was mainly managing TB and cancer. And everyone said, okay, you know, once they cure TB, you're not going to have anything to do. And then it was cancer, and then. People said, well, once chemotherapeutic agents get better, you're not going to have any cancer surgery to do, and then it expanded into cardiac. And I think catheter-based interventions are going to decrease the volume of some open procedures, but we can do the catheter-based procedures. So more of our aortic valve replacements are going to be catheter-based procedures, but we can do them. And so I think that volume is still going to stay there, and some of the other mitral valve therapies will be like that. Um, most of the ascending thoracic and arch work for now is all going to be open, but again, uh, you know, stents will probably be developed in the next 10 years, and so I think no matter what, we'll have to become more facile with catheter-based procedures, but I don't think the specialty is dying in any way. I think, you know, volumes have been very steady, there's a lot of demand for jobs, and so I wouldn't let that dissuade anyone from going into it. And then there are non-catheter-based specialties, you know, in terms of transplantation and heart failure, and that's always going to be a growing field and the ventricular assist devices are getting better and the indications are broadening for which patients are going to go on. So that's going to be a huge area of growth. Well, I appreciate your time going through these questions today with us, Neil. I'm sure the residents are going to find this helpful as they're thinking about their own career decision making, especially given the fact that they don't do formal rotations on the cardiothoracic surgery service. The opportunity to spend some time with you during one of their electives could also help provide them with a better look at the specialty and whether or not CT surgery may be right for them. Yeah, no, we'd love to have them. We'd like having people come on the service. And so anytime uh, anyone wants to rotate, just let me know. So thanks again to Dr. Neil Soda for joining me today as we continue our look into various specialties within general surgery. In the coming weeks, we have some special podcast episodes to look forward to. We will have our podcast takeover on burn resuscitation and management with former Brown Critical Care Fellows and faculty member Dr. Manuel Portolatin and Eric Benoit. We also have some special critical care quick shot podcasts that we're putting together on the management of critically ill surgical patients that we're excited to roll out to better help residents get up and running for the new academic year. 
So stay tuned for that, and I'm looking forward to having you back with us in the next episode. Thank you.